Hey everyone, this is Jamie Austin, pastor of Woodlake Church. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Woodlake, head on over to woodlake.church and enjoy this message. Well, hey, before I jump into it today, I want to introduce you to my family real quick. This is my wife, Whitney, and our sons, Teddy and Riley. Uh, Teddy just turned two last month, and Riley is coming up on seven in a little less than two weeks, and somehow I'm aging even faster than they are You know, if you've seen me speak before, one of the things I love to do is kind of talk about my family. And there is one thing about my family that is pretty important to us, uh, and that is, of course, our love for Chick-fil-A. Now, let me explain to you. Uh, Our love for Chick-fil-A peaked in 2017. Riley was one year old. I was the youth pastor here. And as the youth pastor, we spent a lot of time going to Chick-fil-A. Well, at that same time in our life, we were trying to get our finances together. And we had this app that would just send us updates throughout the week. It would look at our accounts for us and it would give us suggestions. Well, one week, that notification went off and it told us how much we spent on Chick-fil-A the last month. It followed up by saying, do you know that you spent more in one month than some people spend in a year going to Chick-fil-A? Uh, and I did not need, not need that negativity in my life, so I deleted that real quick, and that app was no longer a part of our life. Uh, but if you love Chick-fil-A like we do, there is one day that you want Chick-fil-A more than any other day. I know, it's on Sunday. And if you leave our church and drive south like I do, you pass it on all the other less than restaurants, and you have this moment. You see Chick-fil-A with the empty parking lot, and it, the first feeling you feel is hunger and anger. You get hangry at Chick-fil-A. And then if you're a Christian or if you just have a guilt complex like I do, you feel bad that you got mad at them for that because those sweet people got to experience the Lord even though they kept the Lord's chicken from us. Now, if you don't know this about Chick-fil-A, they are closed on Sundays. And that's not just a big deal like for church people. That is something that has put them in the news time and time again. A few years back, the creator, founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, wrote a book. It was called Eat More Chicken, Inspire More People. And here's one of the things he said in the book. Closing our business on Sunday, the Lord's Day, is our way of honoring God and showing our loyalty to him. This act of being closed on Sunday was studied by business specialists and analysts literally throughout the country. I read an article this week in Business Insider that said even though they did it because of their religious beliefs, being closed on Sunday was a brilliant business strategy. The article went on to say how analysts found that Chick-fil-A manages to make way more money in six days than those other restaurants make being open an extra day, and they were astounded by it. Now, if you know the Bible, and you know the church, and you know God, you know that even though Truett Cathy is a genius that we owe a lot to, he didn't come up with this. God came up with this. Today, I want to tell you about something that is called Sabbath. If you're new to the church world, or maybe you don't even know that you believe this stuff, I still want you to listen today, because the practice of Sabbath isn't just good faith, it's actually good for your life. There are principles that we can learn today to help us. And if you are a believer this morning, I want us for a moment to look at what God really has to say about Sabbath. If you're taking notes today, the definition we'll use for Sabbath is one that I found in the Lexham Bible Dictionary. It is this, a day of complete rest from secular work following six days of labor, established and modeled by God. In the original language, the word Sabbath is taken from the word that means to cease, desist, 
or rest. Sabbath means stopping. Today, before we go into this, I know for many of us in the room, summer just hit us hard. Our kids got out of school Friday, and here we are figuring out how to keep them alive and entertained for three months without the help of their teachers. I know as you go into the summer season, there's all this pressure of what to do, and we'll plan away our whole summer, never really resting in the Lord. And I want to help you here in the first weekend of our summer break for many of us to learn what God would say about Sabbath. Would you let me pray for you before we start today? God, I thank you for my family. Lord, I thank you for everyone hanging out in the room today, those watching online. Lord, I pray today that you would give us rest. Not just rest as in sleep or time off, but God, that we would learn how to find godly rest that can only come from you. Lord, as we open your word today, would you open our hearts? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, to sum up what I'm gonna teach you today, it's just kind of one general idea. And so if you're taking notes, here's what I want you to remember. I'll give it to you all up front. We practice Sabbath because God modeled it, God commanded it, and Jesus is Lord over it. We practice Sabbath because God modeled it, God commanded it, and Jesus is Lord over it. Now, before I dive too far into this today, I want to give you a couple of resources. So if you've got your phone on, you maybe write these down or just take pictures of the screen. The first is a book by Pastor Robert Morris at Gateway Church in Dallas. Uh, he is a brilliant communicator and leader, and his teaching has really impacted a lot of our lives here at Woodlake. Well, he wrote this book called Take the Day Off, and to launch the book, he gave a message that I loved so much that I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff from that message today. And so I wanted to give him credit right at the jump. There's another book that I need to tell you about, and I don't say this lightly, because if I'm to be completely honest, I'm actually not that much of a reader. But this book that I'm about to tell you about literally changed my life a year ago. A year ago, I took a few days off. I was kind of praying. I was spending a little extra time with the Lord. And in those few days, I read this entire book in one weekend. And that book is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. In this book, this pastor talks through the pace of life and the struggles that we deal with to keep up. And in it, he describes a life in the Lord that not only is productive, it is full of godly rest. And in this book, his teaching on Sabbath really, really changed the way I view it today. So with all the credit given to those two and to God and his word, I want us to jump in and see what the Bible has to say about Sabbath. So the first thing we're going to see today is we practice Sabbath because God practiced Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 2, right toward the beginning of the Bible, we see this. So the creation of the heavens and earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God gives us this example of stopping. In his book on the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer talks about this thing in us that is not good at stopping. He blames desire. In the book, he talks about the fact that especially in our American modern culture, there is something in us that always wants to do more, see more, achieve more. We are never satisfied. He uses the example of an unfinished symphony or a song that gets cut off right before the end. You know, going back to the food example, oftentimes when we get Chick-fil-A with our kids, I'm one of those people that really paces out my sandwich to fry ratio, so I enjoy the whole meal, if anyone can identify with that. Well, as such, I always leave a couple of fries for the very end. But you know what happens when you have a toddler and you aren't looking? 
that kid will have the audacity to take the last two fries. If you've ever been there, there's that feeling of, oh, I just wasn't finished yet. In his book, John Mark Comer describes that feeling as something you can never get away from if you don't know how to rest in the Lord. Listen to what he says. Desire is infinite. It has no limit. No point at which it's ever satisfied. The problem is we are finite. We have all sorts of limits. So the result is restlessness. What do we do with our restlessness, even the restlessness that will not go away just from sleeping a couple of extra hours or having a day off? How do we deal with restlessness? Well, the answer is Sabbath. In the passage I just read you, God lays out the practice of Sabbath by doing it himself. And if you're asking questions when you read the Bible, which I think you should, it'll help us understand it. An obvious question would be, did God get tired? Why would God in all of his power need a day off? Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says this, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. So God didn't take a day off because he was tired. So why did he do it? I want to give you a few reasons that God modeled Sabbath for us. The first is this, God's Sabbath was a celebration. In Genesis chapter one, verse 31, it says this, then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. Our culture is terrible at this. Throughout our lives, whether it be at work or with our kids' athletic teams or any other accomplishment, we do the good thing, we have the big moment, and immediately we're focused on what comes next. We build this restlessness into our culture of saying we're never satisfied, we never stop to celebrate. Even if we give the pat on the back, we're immediately looking toward what comes next. And God models stopping every week to celebrate what had happened up to that point. If I was to be completely honest with you today, this is the part of the sermon that God's been dealing with me the most. Over the last month, I've really felt God calling me to focus in on gratitude, so much so that I did something I've never done before, which is I've actually steadily journaled every day. And the reason I've been able to come up with it and be able to keep up with it is because I'm only writing three sentences a day. It's not that hard. (laughs) And so every day I have stopped and I've listed down just a couple of things that God did in my life that day. Just a couple of things that I'm thankful for. Just like our kids in kids' church, when we ask them, what are you thankful for? You never outgrow that practice. And so for you today, maybe Sabbath will be a thing where you learn to start celebrating the good that God has done in your life. Don't allow yourself to think that you've had a bad day because a few bad things happened. Allow yourself to see what are the good things that God did today, and it'll change your perspective of everything. At that first Sabbath, God celebrated. Uh, One commentary had this to say, one day in every seven, we're called upon to remember that each person and indeed each animal is special to God and that they have been given the gift of time by him. One day in seven is to be dedicated to the Lord. A day when we remind ourselves that we are not self-originating, self-sustaining, or self-authenticating. Everything we have is a gift from the creator. In the historical context, Sabbath was not from morning to evening. Originally, it was set up to be evening to evening. So you would start Sabbath around the table with friends or family. And then in the morning, it would be the middle. So if we adopted that to our culture, and if your Sabbath was on Sunday, like many are, 
Maybe if you started Sabbath on Saturday by being grateful to the Lord and honoring him, maybe having a meal with family or doing something fun with friends, then on Sunday morning when you come to church, we would be right in the middle of your Sabbath celebration. Right at the dead center of your Sabbath day, you would be worshiping amongst friends and family, remembering all that good stuff this week has one very good source. God's Sabbath was a celebration. Not only that, God's Sabbath was an example. God did this to show us how to do this. You know, the older my kids get, the more I realize that I have two young people constantly watching and constantly copying everything that I do. And it gets all three of us into trouble. Last summer, we were out on the trampoline and I figured out Riley was big enough that I could show him my favorite wrestling moves from the 90s that I would watch on TV. And so I showed my son some awesome stuff. Here's the problem. He has a baby brother that he can practice those on. And you better believe when that first happened, he didn't get in trouble. I got in trouble because as the dad, I set the example. Last Sunday, Pastor Lauren talked about the fact that we have a heavenly father to look, at, look to as an example. And so God, like any good father or parental figure would do, he lays out an example for his kids, not because he necessarily needed the rest, but because he wanted to show us how to do it. Another commentary had this to say, God ceased from working an example equivalent to a command that we should also cease from labor of every kind. Okay, so it says very clearly that Sabbath means stop. And so today, as you wrestle with this, and if you are actually gonna try and put this into practice, I wanna caution you against the question that I would have asked first. My first question would have been, okay, what do I need to do? And I would have created this long to-do list of how to rest properly, which that doesn't work. God's example of Sabbath is not about what you do, it's about what you don't do. Let me ask you a very simple question. What can wait till the next day? If you begin with that simple question, you'll start to find things in your life that feel like work. I heard one pastor talk about Sabbath and they said, oftentimes people that have the blessing of a two-day weekend will spread out all of the work they don't get paid for into those two days the errands, the tasks at home, and you begin to fill those extra things into your life and you miss out on God-given rest. And so if you're gonna practice this this summer, the first question I want you to ask is simply that. What does stopping look like for me? What do I need to not do on my day of rest? Exodus 31 says this about the Sabbath. The people of Israel must keep the Sabbath day by observing it from generation to generation. This is a covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. So God's Sabbath was a celebration. It was an example. And the last thing I found in this passage is God's Sabbath refreshed him. It wasn't that he was tired, but it was that he was getting ready for what came next. In the original language, refresh means this, to breathe freely or recover. So the first question I want you to ask yourself is, what do I need to not do? And then the follow-up question is this, what refreshes you? The Bible's not going to be very specific about what things you need to do on your Sabbath to be refreshed, but God created you uniquely, and with that unique creation, there are things that feel refreshing to you, and often it's the simplest things. 
You know, for me, it's this one kind of popcorn that I like to buy and I like to eat at this certain spot on my couch with my wife at a certain time of day that just feels refreshing to me. It's hanging out with my kids after a long week and getting them into a game or something that we both enjoy. Uh, Yesterday, Riley was up here with me and I was kind of working through the message and he was listening and he said, Dad, tell them about how we watched the Super Mario movie yesterday. And so here I am telling you (laughs) that yesterday on our family Sabbath, we got on the couch and we watched the Super Mario movie. Now, is that super spiritual? Not necessarily. I can't necessarily say that that's a God-focused thing, but I can say this, that when I honor Sabbath and I allow God to give me that refreshing and I focus on him throughout the day and I pray without ceasing, those moments of refreshing with my family can be some of the most God-honoring moments in my week. So let me ask you, What do you need to not do and what refreshes you? Now, I told you that God was a heavenly father and that he set an example. Well, as a dad myself, not only do I have to set an example, sometimes I have to be very, very specific with my son about what I want him to do. And that's what we find next. We practice Sabbath because God commanded it. Now, I'm about to read you a pretty lengthy section of Scripture. If you're new to the Bible, you may have heard about the Ten Commandments before. There are these Ten Commandments that God gave for all of us to follow for all time. And the one about Sabbath, interestingly, is the longest of all of them. He takes the most time to explain this. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. It says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. That includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now, I know that's a long section. It might be kind of hard to remember all the details. So here it is summed up in just one simple phrase. What is that commandment? Work six days and set aside one day for God-focused rest. As I was wrestling with how to communicate this to us today, I realized that there are two parts to that commandment. Now, for many of us in the room, we struggle more often with actually resting. But because we struggle with actually resting, we get really frustrated and burned out on the days we should actually be working. The Bible is very clear. We are commanded by God to work six days. He put us here and created us to do stuff. But if we don't honor him with that one day, we'll never have the strength for the other six As I was thinking about this and wrestling with it, I realized that one of the biggest problems with Sabbath and one of the biggest reasons that our generation, my generation specifically, struggles with it is we have replaced godly Sabbath with self-care, and they're different. Now, before you think that I'm saying anything bad about self-care, I'm a huge fan. Go see a counselor, see six of them if you need to. I've done it. Do what you got to do. Get healthy, stay healthy, do all the things that make you feel good, both internally, mentally, all the stuff. That is great. But if you can't do it God's way, those things will never have you feeling satisfied. You'll never get the rest that you need. And so maybe you're here today and you're struggling through life because you haven't actually dedicated your mind and heart to working those six days as God intended, and you've allowed yourself to miss on the free gift 
of Sabbath. Last month, I went through like a lot of medical stuff. And so I was gone a lot while I was getting ready to come back, my first day of work. And one of my mentors, a professor at ORU, texted me. And she told me, remember to rest so you can work. It's not the other way around. Today, maybe you feel restless because you've been working, hoping that someday rest will come and it never comes. You get to another week feeling just as bad as the week before. If we follow Sabbath God's way, he will give us the strength to do the work that he's called us to do. Both are so important. Now, as we study this commandment, like I said, it's one of the longest. It is the most spelled out in the Bible. In his message on this, Pastor Robert Morris actually titled his message, The Only Commandment That Christians Are Okay With Breaking. Why do we do that? I think it's because we don't realize the consequences. Today, as we look at this commandment spelled out, I want you to realize that broken commandments always have practical consequences, 100% of the time. This is not just a spiritual thing. In Galatians chapter 6, it says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. At Romans says it even more clearly in chapter 6. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Broken commandments always have practical consequences. I mean, think about it for a moment. Some of the other commandments that come to mind about murder or adultery or even stealing have very obvious practical consequences. So what happens when we break God's command to Sabbath? I want to read you the consequences out of Exodus. Now, before I read this, we are in a different area in the world. We are at a different stage of life, a different point in history. Jesus came, died, was resurrected. So a lot of stuff is a little different for us here and now. So before I read this, do not think that this is going to happen to you if you don't take your day off. But there are some principles here that I think are very important for us here and now. So let's look at what would have happened then if they broke this commandment in Exodus 31. You must keep the Sabbath day, for it's a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. This is serious. Now again, remember Culture, time, covenant, things have changed a little bit. I am not saying that you will get executed if you don't take your day off. But remember, broken commandments always have practical consequences. As I was listening to Robert Morris' message on this, he told a story, and I went and looked up the story for myself. The story was about a man named Mr. A. Now, that's not his real name. His name was actually changed to protect him and his family because he was a part of a very difficult case study. For a moment, I want you to find yourself in Mr. A's story. I know that I did. Mr. A was a guy that loved his work. He showed up day in and day out. Like many of us, he worked really hard. He did probably a pretty good job. He was passionate about working for his company. If you look at the story, he actually worked for a snack food processing company. So the work itself couldn't have been very glamorous, but he was one of those guys that showed up day in and day out. 
Like many of us, maybe he went and put in a few extra hours like you have from time to time or gave up a day off to stay at the office a little extra on the weekend. Can you find yourself in Mr. A's story yet? Now, here's the part of the story where maybe you and I will differ from him a little bit. The case study found that he was working as many as 110 hours per week. If you do the math, that leaves only 58 hours a week for all of life's other stuff. The thing that scared me the most about Mr. A was his age. At the point of the case study, Mr. A was 34, which is the exact age that I am now. And the study ends with Mr. A losing his life to a heart attack at 34 years old as a direct result of working all those hours. Now, what I didn't tell you about Mr. A is that Mr. A was Japanese. And in Japan, there is actually a word for this because it happens so often. That word is karoshi which means death from overwork. Now, if you think this is just a modern problem, this word was actually invented back in the 1970s. It's been a problem in Japan for a long time. When I looked it up, the scariest part of the story was I found article after article basically saying, hey, Japan was right and the, best, the rest of the world is starting to figure it out. One article I found was from the World Health Organization. Listen to this. They found that 745,000 people in a 2016 study had died from stroke and heart disease as a direct result of having worked, listen to this number, 55 hours per week. Okay, 55 doesn't sound like a lot. Like when I read that, I thought, okay, like the average work week is 40. You tack on a few late nights, maybe one extra weekend, and you hit 55, no problem. And this study found that if you work just that much, it can have a direct result of losing your life. Another study found that people who overwork were 12% more likely to become heavy drinkers. They found associations with impaired sleep, depressive symptoms, and another found an association between long hours and type 2 diabetes in low-income workers. So why am I telling you all of that? Broken commandments always have practical consequences. For a moment, I want to talk to the person in the room that you don't even know if you believe in God, the Bible, or Jesus, or any of it. If you'll argue against Scripture, will you for a moment Listen to what the World Health Organization had to say. If we don't do the plan that God had laid out for us, there is a direct result that could end our life. And by giving that one extra day, we could lose years. But here's my favorite thing about the Sabbath. It's a gift. Now, before we begin to think that all of this feels very legalistic, and that's in the Old Testament, and it's in Exodus with all those other laws that we don't know how to follow here and now, Jesus actually describes this himself. And so as we get ready to close things today, I want you to see what Jesus had to say. We practice Sabbath because Jesus is Lord over it. Mark chapter two. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through the grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. 
in this moment, Jesus really messes with the Pharisees' theology. See, they were so focused on rules that it was keeping people from finding God himself. They were making up stuff that wasn't even scriptural many times. And so Jesus sees them struggling with all this. And what he had to say was this Sabbath thing wasn't there as another list of rules for you to follow. It was a gift from God. God did not make you to follow the Sabbath. God made the Sabbath to help you. And at the end of this passage, Jesus said something that would ultimately end in him losing his life. They executed him over this. And it was him saying that he was Lord over the Sabbath, meaning that he was the son of God and he was the one that gifted this to us. If you find this story in scripture, you can find it in Matthew and Mark. And in the Matthew part of this story, you see Jesus go on to do something else that again was scandalous at the time, but as a lesson for us. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. At the end of this story, Jesus heals the guy, and again, they get so mad. One of the translations says that right after he heals them, they go away to plot his death. They were so threatened by Jesus' new way of life. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, first off, it means you can do good on the Sabbath. So it does not mean that you're like negating God's plan for your life if you serve at church, if you greet, if you hang out, if you help people, if you meet someone's need on your Sabbath. One pastor even said, Robert Morris, in one of his messages, he talked about the fact that Jesus lays out, if your sheep goes in the ditch on the Sabbath, get it out. So what is your sheep in the ditch? Well, that means you might get a work call on a Saturday and it's okay. You're not gonna like get executed for answering that call. But what Robert Morris went on to say is your sheep jumps in the ditch every weekend. It's not a sheep problem, it's a management problem. You gotta get it managed. Today, I want to give you some grace. So often we can hear a message with the word commandment in it a bunch of times, and we leave feeling bad about about ourselves. That's not God's intent. That's not the scripture's intent. And as one of your pastors, it's certainly not mine. As you wrestle with developing this practice of Sabbath in your life, I want to let you see Jesus. Jesus, the God that loves us enough to give us simple examples to follow. Last fall, our whole staff went away for a retreat. And while we were there, we were kind of planning the year together and some of the pastors shared with the staff. And I got to talk to our whole staff about Sabbath. And I gave them a principle I wanna give to you today. Guard your Sabbath when you can, guard your heart when you can't. Please don't feel like a failure if you start doing this and you realize, ah, it's Sabbath, but I gotta get something done. God is not gonna live mad at you and smite you because you had to clean up a mess on your Sabbath. If you live with a two-year-old like I do, they do not schedule their messes into six days a week. Hear God's heart this morning. His heart is not to give you some new regulation to follow. The heart of God is to give you rest. As we get ready to wrap this things up this morning, I know that there's a group of people here today that would not call Jesus Lord. You might not even know if you believe this stuff. Here's my challenge for you. Without God, this is all just a bunch of principles that in themselves will still leave you restless. Remember that feeling we talked about at the beginning? 
Today, I wanna lay out for you what it means to actually follow Jesus in our final moments together. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about the life we have to look up, look forward to, the life we can have in eternity. And listen to what it says about our eternal life in heaven, should we choose to follow the Lord. In Hebrews chapter four, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience eternal Sabbath rest. The best feeling that I could think of to put this into words is that feeling you get on a Monday morning. It is really, really early in morning. You wake up, you're groggy, you roll over, you pick up your phone or you look at your clock and you have the best feeling in the world, which is when you realize you thought it was time to get up and you still have three hours to go back to sleep. Isn't that just the best? In my humble opinion, That is a small example of what Sabbath rest feels like. It's knowing that this rest doesn't have to end. There's something else about Sabbath rest. As you study this and you look at the original language and you look at the context, Sabbath rest doesn't just mean rest for eternity. It means eternal fellowship and celebration with God. It's that big event that you're looking forward to, the joy when it comes forever and ever. As we end today, I'm gonna read you one more passage and it's my favorite passage about rest in the entire Bible. And it's some words spoken by Jesus himself. Matthew 11, 28. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Here's the truth about this passage. Jesus never said, if you follow me, your life will be easy. He never said that. He never said, raise your hand in church and everything's gonna be all different and no problems are gonna come at you Monday. Jesus didn't say that. What he did say is, yeah, we're gonna have a yoke to bear. We're gonna have some stuff to do. There's still some work for us. And yes, it's not a life without burden. It's a life with a different burden. And the burden that comes with Jesus, the Bible says, is light. And you know why it's light? Because when you accept Jesus, he helps carry all the stuff with you. So this morning, as we go to prayer, if you're here and your soul is restless, I'm talking about that moment when you go away on vacation and it actually was a vacation. Someone else watched the kids and you had a week off. It's that moment when you get to sleep in on Saturday, you go out with your friends on Friday night, you enjoy time with your favorite people doing your favorite things. And yet, your soul still feels so tired. Maybe it's because you haven't celebrated and practiced Sabbath God's way, or maybe it's because you're carrying the rest of your life on your own. Today, I wanna give you a chance to accept Jesus. I would love if you would walk out of here and put all this stuff into practice, that would be awesome. And I would love, even if you don't believe in God, for you to try some of this stuff and let him show you that it works. But even more than that, I don't want you to deal with any of it alone. I don't want you to work six days by yourself, even if you rest one day with God. Today, I wanna give you the chance to get the rest that only comes from him, rest for your soul. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, the Bible's very clear. 
Jesus lived a perfect sinless life and died a death he did not deserve so that we could one day accept him and spend eternity with him forever in that Sabbath rest. If you're here today and you wanna say yes to the Lord for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time, please hear him saying to you, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest for your soul. If you wanna experience that today and say yes to the Lord, I'm gonna count to three and I just want you to raise your hands so that I can pray with you. Be bold today, allow Jesus to give you his rest. Make the decision that will ultimately change your life. If that's you today, I want, I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to raise your hands. One, two, three. I wanna say yes to the Lord today. Keep your hands high where I can see you. I wanna pray for you. I see you, I see you. Awesome. There's another group of people I wanna pray for today. Today, maybe you came in weary and burdened and you've been serving the Lord. You may have even been doing a lot of stuff for him, but you still have not rested the way he wants you to. If you're here today and you're just wore out, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand and that hand might be really tired. But if that's you, would you just raise your hand at me? I'm not gonna count and do the whole thing. Just raise your hand. Let me know I'm praying for you today. If you just need some rest. Yeah, I see you. I see you. I'm not gonna let you look at each other because I don't wanna embarrass anybody, but it's all over the room and it's all ages. It's all stages of life. It's all professions. I would argue it's probably people that have known Jesus for five minutes, some that have known him for 50 years. This is something we all need to practice and we're never perfect. But let me pray with you today. Would you just repeat after me? Say, dear Jesus, you are the son of God. You died for me, for my sin, in my place. Forgive me and make me new. From this day forward, with your help, I'm all yours. And today, I rest in you. In Jesus' name. Woodlake Church, our passion is to help you connect with God, find your sweet spot in ministry, and grow in your faith. Everyone is welcome at Woodlake. If you've never been to church before in your life, or if you're a lifelong Christian, Woodlake is a place where you can experience real and lasting spiritual growth. Music is upbeat. The messages are straight from God's Word. They're very practical. We also have great programs for infants through 12th grade. I mean, we have something for everyone. Come check us out this weekend. I promise you'll be glad you did.